All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I, while we were singing, uh, I was just trying my best to scan the crowds, and it's nice to see uh, half of your beautiful faces. Hopefully one day the mask can come off. But until then, hey, all the more we're thankful to God. Thank you to Praise Team. Man, I don't know about you, but I felt like my soul was like parched for this whole year. I feel like I drank like a really cup of cold water. Thank you, Brother Eric and the Praise Team. Uh, like, I feel filled already. Like, I'm just ready to go home, but I guess I need to preach, so I will do that as well. Uh, before anything else, if you're new or visiting, my name is Sam. Uh, I am part of the pastoral staff here. And welcome specifically to our first Sunday back, as Pastor Dom mentioned, hopefully at our normal location on a weekly basis here at Buena Park High School. Uh, again, please uh, bear with us, show us grace, as with any other church in this season. I think there are going to be a couple weeks of uh, regathering rust that we need to kind of shake off and get back to our normal swing of things. But I also know, uh, as I was standing there, I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I was reminded of when I went overseas one time, and uh, the worth of gathering together to some people there, like hot, cold, comfortable, uncomfortable, inconvenient, it really doesn't matter. Like, that's just how precious the gathering of the church is. So I was reminded, I was like, oh, thank God that it's not perfectly conditioned where we don't feel nothing, you know. And so that's where I would hope that we are remembering all the more as the AC, I'm sure, will kick back in a couple of weeks. Even if it didn't come back, would it be worth it? I think that's always a food for thought for us to think about. Now today, it's not just any Sunday, obviously. July 11th has been a date etched in the mind of particularly our staff for quite some time because we were praying, Lord willing, please, please, please let this be the day that we're not just meeting randomly or once a month, but weekly again because it's been a long, long season. Whether you're a part of our church, whether you're visiting, or whether you plan to come back to our church, I'm sure for you it's been a long season, spiritually speaking as well, of being separated and scattered. I mean, I did the math. I don't know why, but this helps me get perspective. It's been over 60 weeks since we've gathered in this manner as a church. That means there's been over 60 consecutive Sundays outside of our, our three recent outdoor gatherings that we were not able to meaningfully gather as a church uh, to connect with one another, to, to hear each other sing praises to God, to hear the word of God preached in person, and to fellowship with the body of Christ in the flesh. So I think it goes without saying, there's a level of excitement, not just for our church, but a lot of churches. I follow a lot of churches on social media. There's understandably a lot of pictures and announcements blasting the season of regathering and this long-awaited season for Christians. And not just regathering, but gathering indoors just in time for summer. If it's hot now, imagine if we were at Parks Junior High School. It would be much harder, so praise God. Perspective. And I've also talked to enough people in our church to know a lot of people have been longing to meet back. Right? That's kind of been the buzzword these days. Oh man, in-person worship or regathering. And I praise God that, at least at our church, the majority of our people look forward to corporately gathering in person. And as hard as this past year of virtual worship has been, I think one blessing or silver lining has been for all Christians that we can take away the reality that we should never, ever, ever take the in-person gathering for granted again. It may not be here next week. So don't presume or assume that you're going to always have the privilege to gather as God's people. There's a quote by an author named Don Whitney. He puts into words how I think a lot of us have felt this past season, spiritually speaking. Uh, he writes, and I quote, There's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. I think prior to this COVID season, uh, many of us probably understood this conceptually, that corporate worship in person is important for the Christian. But I think now, we not only know it in our heads, but we have probably experienced firsthand how hard it can be to try to meaningfully worship God when the church is scattered 
and separated. So with the context of Sunday gathering in mind, as Brother Eric said during praise, today that's what we're going to talk about. I hope before we start our new series next week and before we get into the swing of things of meeting again, that we all get back on the same page, wherever you're coming from, whatever context you are at. And I hope to biblically kind of recalibrate our understanding of what exactly is the Sunday gathering and how should we aim to posture our hearts and approach it in this season. So if you have your Bibles or if you look on the screen, I'm going to look at two texts in the book of Hebrews and I want to ground our message in them today. So it will show on the screen behind me. The first text comes from Hebrews chapter 12. That will be more on a vertical emphasis of the Sunday gathering. And the second comes from Hebrews 10 verse 23. That's a more horizontal emphasis. And I'll read both of them and I'll pray for us to begin our message. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28. This is the reading of God's word. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. It's the reading of God's word. Let me briefly pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we open your word as your people knowing that if we just are here externally... There's no power in that, but I pray, Lord, that in our hearts, to the deepest part of our souls, we can have a hunger and thirst to hear from you, that the fellowship we desire is a spiritual one. And, Lord, all the more as we begin this season, we don't know how long it will last. May we never take for granted the privilege of gathering to worship your name. We pray, Lord, that more than anything else, your spirit align our mentalities and our hearts to what your word has to say when it comes to the Sunday gathering of your people. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the aim of today's message is simple. It's that by the end of this message, if you walk out of this theater or auditorium and if a random stranger were to walk by and say, what are you guys doing? Oh, you're gathering? Well, why do you Christians gather on Sunday and why is it such a big deal? My hope is that you can answer with a little more confidence, a little more clarity, and a little more conviction than maybe when you walked in, right? And I hope that as a Christian you're thinking, oh, I can answer that. If you can't, all the more this message is for you. But I myself needed a refresher and a reminder. And so if that can happen, mission accomplished. And in order to do that, we'll look at the Sunday gathering from just four angles loosely based off Hebrews, which is number one, our purpose in the Sunday gathering for note takers. Number two, our posture in our Sunday gathering. Number three, our role, R-O-L-E, our role in our Sunday gathering. And then lastly, our need for our Sunday gathering. So first, our purpose. So as I mentioned, Many churches excited to meet back, and I'm sure many of you are as well. But can I pause us for a moment to ask the simple yet important reflection question of, why are you so excited? Why are you so excited to regather? And don't try to think of the right answer. Don't try to think of the Christian answer. Just honestly ask yourself the honest answer in your heart of why you're so excited to regather as a church. Knowing our congregation... Knowing my own heart, because I'm a part of this body, I can think of a few reasons why I think some of us are happy to meet in person. The most obvious being friends. Man, it's been a lonely season. We miss our friends. Looking around, I'm sure some of you are thinking, wow, I haven't seen that person. I can't wait to catch up with that person. Hanging out before worship, hanging out after worship, eating together, playing sports together. And so Sunday gathering, it is a great weekly excuse to just hang out. In fact, there's a little mall down the street called The Source. They're probably so happy right now that church is regathering because they're going to get the zombie infestation of all the churches in the area and cha-ching for them, right? Because they know, dude, particularly Asian churches love hanging out or comfort. I mean, knock on wood, hopefully it gets a little cooler, but it's much cooler than outside. 
So it's much nicer being indoors. I heard there's a heat wave coming. So imagine if we're outdoors, it's just comfortable. Or children's program. Wow, two hours to drop off your kids. And you look around and you don't see members. You see babysitters. Like, wow, I just tossed my baby around. And I have a son now. That's what I plan to do, right? Hey, nice to meet you. Here's my baby. Hold him, right? Or good praise. And we just experience it. Wow, just praise music. Just It sounds better. It's more of a, a blessing in person with a live band. We all suffered praise lyric and congregation alike trying to worship over Zoom. I remember the worst of it was when one song was basically because of spotty Wi-Fi. It was basically like watching a horror movie. It was terrible. And we all experienced that. Or maybe in a more like subtle way, we're excited because we want to restore a sense of spiritual normalcy. Where particularly if you grew up in the church, it's just weird not having Sundays as a day and time where you go to church. It's just kind of like what you do as a Christian. And don't get me wrong, none of these things are bad things. But I wonder how many of us were so excited together because we missed worshiping God. We genuinely missed worshiping God with the body of Christ. And that's what this point is about. As basic as it sounds, the church first and foremost corporately gathers to worship God. The foundational purpose in our gathering as we sing is so that the blood-bought people of God come together every week to give God the praise and the honor that he is due. And as we just sang, the passion of every true Christian in the context of every true church should be to sing to God be the glory through Christ our Savior's church. That's why we gather. That is our hope in gathering. That is our purpose in gathering. That is our mission in gathering. And so therefore, the reason we gather is not primarily so that we can get something. And I think for a lot of us, especially in the OC who have drank the Kool-Aid of our consumeristic culture, we understandably have a hard time not going to church with a what's-in-it-for-me approach and mentality, right? I'm sure that's just how we approach all of life. But church, can I remind us, worship is not ultimately a means to an end. Worship for God, for the church, it is the end. That is the end for why the church gathers. And Hebrews 12, 28, like we read, gives, it's just one of the many texts that tell us why. It says in verse 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a king that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. The order is of utmost importance. The order is what separates Christianity from every other man-made religion out there, which is this. We do not offer God acceptable worship in order to gain favor or so that we gain entrance into the kingdom. Rather, the order is that we offer worship because in Christ we've already been adopted as his children. That is the fundamental gospel order. And so to put it simply then, our primary purpose in our corporate gathering every week as the people of God is to worship him, particularly in response to two things. Number one, who he is. He is worthy of glory, honor, and praise. And we forget that in seasons like COVID. And number two, what he has done which is essentially the gospel message. He has saved us, forgiven us, redeemed us, made us clean from our sins, and made us not just individual new creations, but a altogether new community in Christ. So that's a very basic but fundamental first point that I want to reiterate. Our purpose in gathering is simply to worship God. And I really took time to think about this. If you really mainly want fellowship, can I exhort you, join like an interest group or a club. They are far better. You don't have to pretend you're Christian. You could just be very upfront for why you're gathering. It's more fun. If you want good AC, all the more today, go to the public library. I think it's like 40 degrees in there. It's free. There's nice books you can read. 
And if you want good music, go to a concert. Like, we are volunteers. <laughs> we don't have professional musicians. I mean, praise God. I love our praise team. I love our, our, our audio visual. I think we're way above average in my opinion. But go to like an uh, like all better concert. It's just much better there. But if you want to experience the presence of God with the people of God, come to church. The gathered church is unique in its singular desire to glorify God and worship him and to praise him. No other gathering on the planet does this on a regular basis. And unfortunately, even a lot of churches don't even do this on a regular basis. That leads to the second aspect of the Southern gathering and is closely tied to the first, which is our posture in our Sunday gathering. Now what I mean by posture, it's our approach, our mentality, and at times even our physical expression in worship, our posture. I think one thing this season of COVID has done to a lot of us, myself included, is quite simply it has absolutely pummeled and destroyed our spiritual posture of worship. Now for the minority out there that remained faithful in tuning into virtual worship early, if anything, to prepare your heart, and you were one of the 10 people at our church who always left your camera on for accountability so that you would know that the church is watching you worship and you wanted that, and you fought to be singularly focused, so you rid yourself of distractions, and you literally sang in your living room because you're like, God is worthy anywhere and everywhere, so I will worship him. All power to you. I was not one of them. I'm a pastor here. So <laughs> all the more, all power to you. But for the rest of us, let's be honest, right? Our posture in worship, especially as COVID progressed, looked more like multitasking with our cameras off, listening into worship on our phones while driving somewhere, sharing the worship screen on half of its worship, half of it's like hospital playlist or some sort of recent show that we've been watching. Or some of us just not even tuning in altogether because you're like, I don't want to be fake. I'm just not going to tune in. That's not a better alternative, by the way, but at least you're honest, okay? So you just tune out altogether. And just no, I totally get it. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone here. Like I said, I'm guilty of it myself. It was just genuinely, uh, I'll say it one last time, an unprecedented season for the church to maintain a worshipful posture above all things while at home through a screen. Let me also say, as I was scanning the crowd, you all look beautiful today. I see fresh haircuts, some new clothing purchases, if anything. And, if, and for a lot of us, to be honest, I think for the first time in a long time, you got up and you got ready for church. Can you remember the last time you did that? I got to get ready for church. But here's the heart check we all need to face. When we say that we get ready for church, who is it and what is it that you're getting ready for? For honest, aren't we getting ready for each other? To look presentable, to prepare to look socially acceptable. Like if you wore the clothes you wore during virtual worship, you might be like church discipline because it is just not okay. Or, or to prepare yourself to engage in social interactions. So particularly introverts, maybe you're like, i got to fill my tank because I'm going to talk to people. And guess what? You should do that. That's what it means to prepare. It would be weird if you didn't. But along that same line, I wonder if while our external demeanors have the posture and appearance of being ready to come to worship, our hearts tell a different story. You see, based on the first point, if the primary purpose of the gathering is to worship God, doesn't it only then make sense that we ultimately should get ready to worship God? 
And I wonder if God, who looks at not the external but the internal, that is a biblical reality spread out through the Old and New Testament, look at our hearts today. And if I can use this analogy, our hearts still have our cameras off in a sense. Our hearts are, are still checked out spiritually. They're tuned out when it comes to the worship itself. Look again at Hebrews 12 verse 28. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now I don't have time to get into all the details. The writer of Hebrews is essentially saying there is a right and acceptable way to worship. And a large part of what makes it acceptable is our posture of how we worship, which is informed by understanding of who it is that we are worshiping. So here's the biblical logic. The holy God of scripture is not just some ordinary person or not just some fabricated idol that is made up. He is a powerful, and the word he uses there is consuming fire. And consuming fire is a very, very fearful and scary title for God. I know you've heard this before, but back in the day we used to sing, oh, consuming fire, fan into flame. I don't want to get into it, but you know what you're basically singing when you say that? You're saying, come judge us, Lord. That's what consuming fire means. So God has legitimately showed up in consuming fire and judgment and power throughout redemptive history. That's who we're worshiping. And knowing that this God, who has every right to pour out that consuming fire upon us, chose not to. But instead poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. And week in and week out we're reminded of that. It is only appropriate and acceptable then, it's according to this text, approach worship in a twofold posture of number one, gratitude. Let us be grateful in our worship. In a posture of reverence. Who is it that you're approaching? That should inform how you approach. Now let me briefly try to show what this means and looks like practically. First, gratitude. One thing that unites all humans in a fallen world is that on any given day, your natural leaning is towards discontentment. That's just a simple reality. And this is all the more true after this past year of global pandemic and economic and social chaos. Isn't it hard to think of things to be thankful for? And I would argue that that's not just because of your circumstance, that's because of the fact that you are fallen and your natural bend is to have a posture of ingratitude. I mean, ask yourself if this is true in your life. Don't we always think that we deserve more? And don't we always downplay the blessings we actually receive? Isn't that just how we are as people? Or isn't it easy to highlight and complain about the things you don't have, but for some reason, it's so hard to truly be thankful for the blessings you do have? Why are we that way? At least let it be an even playing field, but it's simply not because why? We are ungrateful people. That's just what it means to be a sinner, quite frankly. Well, what is the writer of Hebrews saying we should be thankful for? He isn't saying, well, be grateful because things are going well in your life or because you get a pay raise or because on this particular day you don't have any issues. No, it says, let us, and notice the corporate nature of everything I'm saying, let us, not just let me, but let us, the church, the people of God, be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is the common denominator of gratitude for the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means we may have varying circumstances, varying struggles, and varying contexts that we come from. And looking around the room, at least 30%, I know exactly generally what kind of context you come from. Because I'm a pastor here and I feel a burden. I want to know what's going on in your life. I know a lot of you guys are not in ideal situations. Whether it's family struggles, financial struggles, personal struggles, relational struggles. No matter what it is though, what he's saying is when we gather to worship though, we always have a reason to have a posture of gratitude because of the eternal, unshakable gift of salvation and security we have in Christ. 
So therefore, I have biblical grounds to exhort you, church, no matter how hard your life is or how crummy your week was this past week, if you're a Christian, what we need to know is we always have reason to be thankful. I wonder if you walked into this room and after singing to God, you're thinking, you know what, God, my life is terrible, but thank you. Thank you that I have something that cannot be shaken. Secondly, what is the practical significance of reverence? Because I get it, reverence is kind of an archaic old word. And it, it sounds kind of like too Christianese to say, well, uh, revere God because God is God. And that sounds so, so elementary. So let me try to illustrate this for you. So recently with COVID restrictions lifting, a few brothers I know, they went on a backpacking trip. So I asked one of them, hey, how was it? And this brother literally told me it changed my life. And my eyes opened up. I was like, what? <laughs> it changed your life? Now, sure, he might have been slightly exaggerating, but I think what he was getting at is that there's, there's something transformative about personally taking in and experiencing the awe-inspiring nature of the mountains and the lakes. That's kind of why Christian and non-Christian alike, people are setting record numbers at national parks because it's almost like we've been parched of, of glory beyond our, our minuscule sense of self and our minuscule bubbles of community. We need to be awed again. We need to be... We want to feel reverence again. And so I use that to make a simple point. When you experience or encounter something or someone so much bigger than you, so much greater than you, and so much more majestic than you, you can't help but be at least a little bit changed. A little bit. I experienced this when I went to Zion National Park. I know a couple of you went to Zion recently. No one had to tell me, hey, Sam, make sure when you go before that big red rock mountain that you have a reverent heart. No one had to tell me that. I just had it because as I stood there and felt so small, like a little tiny ant, my heart naturally postured itself in a position of reverence and awe as I was intaking and processing what was coming in front of me. Now take that analogy and try to apply it now as best as you can to an infinitely more glorious and majestic God who makes the greatest mountains and the lakes of the world seem like puddles and mounds of dirt. If you were standing at the Mount of Everest, would you naturally be filled with wonder and awe? You would. Now, how much more awe and reverence should you have in the presence of Almighty God? Now, you might be thinking, but Sam, it's different. At Zion, you're physically in front of something, so it's palpable to my senses. I can smell the nature. I can see the nature. I can pick up the rocks. So it's a lot easier to have a posture of reverence and awe. But here, I don't see a mountain. I see you just moving your hands. It's like, how is that reverential? I get that. And to that I say, but that's why worship is spiritual in nature. It is not physical. We experience Zion with our physical eyesight and senses. But the people of God are not primarily carnal fleshly people, we are a spiritual community who experiences and worships God with our spiritual eyes of faith. And so you know what that means? It means by faith we believe and we know that God is far greater, far more worthy, and far more majestic than anything we know of in this world. And that postures your heart towards reverence. And there's a lot more that could be said, but for time's sake I'll close it at this. Therefore, come to church then as best as you can by the Spirit's help with a posture of faith to approach and worship God for who he really is and for what he has done. That's the first two, more vertical in nature. Now I want to shift gears to the horizontal nature because, hey, if it's just about those two, why can't I just worship God vertically in that manner at my house? 
I'll try to make it as reverential as possible. I'll try to really rid myself of distractions. Why does it need to be in the context of a gathering of people? All the more in like a day like today where it's really hot. And it's just tough. Third point, our role in the Sunday gathering. The second text we read in Hebrews 10 emphasizes one of the more important roles that the Christian needs to fill in the corporate gathering. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now there's a lot going on in this well-known, well-quoted text, but I'll try to break it down simply and clearly for us. The author is saying, as God's people, it is very, very tempting throughout history to make it a habit to neglect the gathering with other Christians. And I don't think all the more today it's hard for us to relate to this. I am confident that this has become and will increasingly become a habit and temptation for so many Christians who quite frankly have tasted the glory of virtual church. It's just so convenient. So convenient. But based on this text, the author is saying, by not meeting with other believers, we are neglecting and missing out on a vital part of the Christian life in a horizontal sense. The text says by implication, when you meet together with fellow Christians, you actually have a role. You have a responsibility, and it begins with this primary imperative that you need to consider. You need to consider something. Now the word therefore consider means you need to really engage your, your mind and your eyes and fixate on something very carefully. And so in other words, as you're tracking me and I'm fleshing this out, it means that this morning as you come to the gathering, you should have to be faithful to what this is calling you. You should have considered something. And what is it that we are to consider? We are to consider, as the text says, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, I've heard that so many times, but when I actually studied it, there's a very important nuance we need to make, okay? The word and idea of stirring one another, it might seem a little confusing. Quite literally, it's a funny picture. It's like, I'm supposed to stir you, man, right? That's not what it is. The word for stir, it is a strong word which kind of translates to the word provoke. It's not a very fun word to think about. To provoke, and in its fullest meaning, it can actually include the idea of provoking someone to the extent that you're irritating them. You're being almost an irritant to them. One example I can give is the very important role of shotgun on a road trip, right? Everybody knows whoever rides in the front seat, you naturally fill a very important role to play, which is number one, you cannot fall asleep because the livelihood of everyone in that car is on your shoulders. And two, you need to primarily make sure the driver does not fall asleep. So imagine you're on a road trip. I don't know, you're going to Yosemite, you're going to NorCal or something, and you notice the driver's nodding off. What do you do? Let me tell you what doesn't work. You don't go over and you whisper in their ear so gently and say, psst, wake up. That does nothing. You might make them sleep more. No, what do you do? You need to stir them. You need to provoke them. So you might yell. You might hit them. You might pinch them and give them a sharp squeeze and wake them up. Why? Not just to do that and be a, be a jerk, but to prevent them from crashing. There's a purpose to why you're provoking them. That is the connotation and the picture of stirring up. And that's where it's so interesting that it doesn't say, okay, when you gather, consider how to love each other and do good deeds. That's not what it says. That's what makes sense. And that's what a lot of people think this says. And if that was what it was saying, what that would mean is that, okay, to be faithful, that means as I come on the Sunday gathering, I need to deeply consider how I can love that brother or that sister. And every time we gather, I need to make sure I fulfill that role. But that's not what it's saying. It says, stir 
one another up to loving good deeds. It's saying consider not how you can be more loving and do good works, but it says consider deeply how you can stir and provoke others to grow in love and good deeds. That is what is going on in the context of the gathered church. And so this is important to understand. Our role in gathering is to help one another become more loving. The gathering is not so you become more loving. The gathering is so that you have a heart to help others become more loving, to push others to do good deeds. And at a point, I made it a point, okay, to say our role, because here at our church, we do think members have a significant vital role. You're not just here to take, 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 and consume, but we think biblically and in the way that we understand church, it is not saying come to church so that the pastor can stir you up. That's not what it says. It says one another. Every believer is called to this role and responsibility in the church. So what are the practical implications and applications for this? Well, one implication then is that in order to actively live a life of love and obedience, as prideful as you might be as a person, it's saying you cannot do that without other Christians. We need one another. That is a theological truth. We need one another to push each other, to stir one another, because left to ourselves, the biblical tone seems to be that you simply do not have the ability nor the natural desire to live in this way. And another implication, which may sound simple, but it's actually really profound, and I've still been chewing on if you really grasp it, is this. It means, horizontally speaking, I don't come to church for me. I come to church for you. And in the same way, I hope that you come to church for me. You guys kind of get what's going on here in Hebrews? It is the antithesis of a consumeristic and individualistic approach to church. We come not with the expectation to primarily receive, but rather we come with the conviction to give and to stir corporately. So what's a practical example? It's a very basic one. A little elementary, let's say you're a tenured member of this church and today is a day you've been looking forward to because you're like, I know which part of the corner I'm going to go to hang out with my friends. It's been so long since we caught up. We're going to go eat together. And you have a clear, comfortable group that you're going to gravitate towards. But after worship today, as you're hanging out, you clearly notice blatantly, wow, there's a couple new people that look absolutely lost. They look like they could use a little help in getting more connected. And so the typical application would be then, you know what, I'm going to give up hanging out with my friends I'm going to go over there, even if it's a little uncomfortable, I'm going to welcome them. And amen, you should do that, but that is not an application of this text. That's not what it's saying to do. What you should do, according to the text, is you see them, you see your fellow church members, and you say to them, hey, you, be uncomfortable today. Love, do good to all. I'm pushing you to do what I think you should do. In the same way that you should push me to do what we should do. In other words, the most accurate fleshing out of this text is not a culture of individual saviors. And to be honest, a lot of us like that. We like being the individual saviors. You know why? Because when I apply it to you, you like feeling like you're the one that's becoming more godly. You're the one that's becoming a better Christian. So, okay, Pastor said, my God, I'll beat myself, I'll be uncomfortable, and I'll be the most welcoming person, all glory to me. But guess what? The most accurate fleshing out is not that there are individual saviors in the church, but there's a corporate community of stirrers who are constantly seeking how to consider to push others to be more like Jesus. If I can put it this way, it is a church culture where I take more joy in seeing you grow as a Christian. 
I want to see you grow closer to Christ. It's not about me. In the same way that I would hope you care deeply about my growth in Christ. It should bother me more that you're not walking in love, even more than the fact that I'm not walking in love. Do you see how one another centric the gathering is? Imagine if every time we gathered, we took this exhortation to heart. And we deeply, deeply considered, man, how can I meaningfully, week in and week out, stir and push others to love and good deeds? You know what would happen? What would happen then is the church would move past the shallowness of simply playing church. And we would actually gradually start by the power of the Spirit to look, to feel, and to act a little more like Jesus. That's what the church is. And the author of Hebrews doesn't just stop at giving the what, but very briefly, he also gives the why. In verse 25, he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but hey, keep encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can do a whole sermon on this, but I can't, so I'm not going to. Why should we pour out our precious time and energy into the church? Why would we give up our precious weekends, especially when we've seen how much glory there is in a flexible weekend or having a free Sunday? Why should we invest in relationships with people who are awkward or are not our normal cup of tea? And on a human sense, it makes no sense. And I totally agree with that. That's probably why so many people, as this text says, give it up altogether. It doesn't make human sense. It's not worth it in a worldly sense. But that's where the author of Hebrews pulls back and says, well, wait, 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 wait. When you feel that way, keep encouraging one another all the more because remember, this is all leading somewhere. I'm not just saying to do that, to do that. When you gather as God's redeemed people, you're experiencing and practicing an early preview, if I can put it that way, of your citizenship of a different world, of heaven. And there will be a day, the day, where the scriptures are clear, everyone will kneel in reverence and awe at the return of Jesus. And so he says, encourage each other and push one another towards remembering that day. That's the why. And that leads to the last point, our need, and we'll close here. Uh, Luther, obviously a famous theologian, he said this regarding the corporate gathering of the church. He says, at home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. I feel kind of like a, a literal fire because I'm like sweating. So all the more I'm passionate about this quote. I personally share Luther's sentiment in every fiber of my being. But to be honest, I tell you, if you especially if you're a non-Christian here today, I can't really make a strong case on paper why you need to come to church. Because on paper, you have the same Bible at your house that we use here. You can sing the same songs at home that we sing here. And in fact, with technology these days, you can even probably watch the same service in real time as we're watching here. So on paper, if I can use Luther's analogy of fire, we're using the same wood. But as Luther also says, for some reason, when we try to light the fire of spiritual fervor in the home, the wood doesn't catch. It doesn't catch fire. On the contrary, when we gather corporately with fellow believers in the church, God seems to, through the power of his spirit, pour lighter fluid to spiritually rekindle our hearts as a, as a result of that gathering. That's kind of what's going on here. And from my experience, here's my best attempt, some of it's borrowed from others in our context, to flesh out a few maybe personal experiential reasons why I think this might be the case. Why the gathering is needed for a Christian like me 
apart from just the biblical in-your-face law of like, well, you need to go to church. Let me try my best. Number one, one reason I think if you haven't already caught the drift is because of the power of corporate praise and singing. Pastor Tom and I talk about this all the time. We're like, dude, we preached during COVID. We had announcements during COVID. The only thing we didn't have is hearing each other sing. And that absolutely destroyed the body of Christ. You see, it's one thing to sing to yourself by yourself. And it is a whole other thing to sing in the midst of a myriad of voices of fellow believers singing to the same God, singing the same truth about that God. Now here's what I mean more practically. And here's why we care that church is not just somewhere you go, but church is somewhere you're a part of. You know people. When I look here, I have a clean conscience before the Lord. I know almost all of you. And not just your names, I know where you live. I know what's going on generally in your life. Generally speaking, through our means of shepherding, I know if something rough is happening. Now, granted, I can't do it for everyone. Therefore, we should all be doing that for each other. And so part of my favorite thing to do is not just to sing, but if you look, I'm looking back to see other people singing. And I'm looking at faces because here's why. Because when I see and hear a brother in the church who I know is struggling because he lost a loved one this past season during COVID, and he fights by faith to sing the words like, it is well with my soul. My heart gets stirred. When I see a tired and weary mom, shout out moms, who after a long morning has put far more work and effort to even make it to worship than the average member. Like college students, young adults, oh, it's so hard to wake up. Come on. Come on. Moms have changed the world by the time you get up. And they come weary and tired. And they sing praises of how they want to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and how Jesus is worth it. And nothing in their life is more valuable than to treasure Christ. My heart gets stirred. Or when I see individuals who I know that just lost their jobs, seeing and take comfort in the fact that God is a sovereign God who is faithful even in confusion, even in the valleys of life, my heart gets stirred. And that is the type of stirring I think Luther would say, you cannot have that kind of stirring apart from the physical body of Christ. That doesn't happen in your living room. That doesn't happen through a screen. It happens in the real robust context of the embodied gathering of stumbling saints who are called to be a new family and new community in Christ. So that's one reason you simply, apart from what we are here now, you cannot experience the power of the corporate singing and praising together of God. And I do think, again, it is a particular type of wood that God seems to enjoy pouring out his blessing upon. And a second reason I can think of is the power and the proclamation of God's word and the gospel. You see, in any given week, we will all be told and tempted to believe in a variety of different lies and false narratives. Satan's number one description in scripture is that he is a deceiver. So more than anything else, what you are being inundated with, whether you're aware of it or not, most of the times you're not, is through the world, through media, through your workplace, through your whatever it is outside of Christian community, you are being told lies. That's the best way to see your Monday through Saturday. That's what it means by definition to be in a fallen world. So for example, some of you have been walked in living a week feeling like you're not good enough. Why? Because your boss said something to you or you're on your sixth, seventh interview, or because you saw a fan, fan, friend or family member who said something that just discouraged you. So you're feeling like you're not good enough. Or others of you, you, left, you lived a week feeling super unworthy of being loved, because guess what? You fell into a habitual sin for the 10th time. Or you made that same mistake and you're in another ruins of your relationship with your friends. And you're thinking, wow, I'm just not worthy, okay. Or others of you, 
you've come and you're tempted to give into unbelief and doubt because after 60 weeks of not hearing the truth of God's word, all you heard is everything else. Your social media feeds, your Facebook posts, and you're thinking, maybe the world is right. Maybe Christianity is a sham. Or maybe it isn't really about really trusting that this is the word of God. Maybe it's more of a Chipotle pick and choose. Maybe it can be an all roads lead to God. And so you leave or you come in to the gathering feeling doubt. Or others of you simply may feel after going through a week of feeling like everything and everyone in this world is out to get you. You probably are just thinking life is just unfair. I I can literally go on forever on any given week. And so whether you're a Christian, and especially if you aren't a Christian, can I ask you, okay, what do you do with those weeks? What do you do with that? What do you do with those thoughts, those insecurities, those anxieties, those burdens, those frustrations, those broken relationships that you accumulate on any given week? What do you do with it? I'll tell you what I think what most of the world does with it. You try to bury it with mindless entertainment. Netflix has a plethora of beautiful Korean dramas you can watch. Berry, berry, berry. Or, or, or even alcohol. It's a temporary barrier. Or maybe various different self-help strategies, right? That seems to be the more noble way. So I'm going to try to help myself. But one thing I can tell you for certain is this. It is impossible to deal with those things by yourself because yourself is the issue. How can the self help the self if the self is the issue? I'm going to close with a random illustration. This might seem like a random turn, but one of my favorite days of the week is trash day, <laughs> when the trash man comes. Um, you know why? It's because all the trash that has become accumulated and piled up and is starting to smell, I can just dump it into the dumpster and it's just refreshed. It's like new. It's the greatest feeling ever. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm weird like that, but when I see an empty dumpster, I, my heart gets filled with joy. But it's not me who is doing the refreshing, right? It's the trash man. So sure, I have a role to play. I got to wrap up my trash. I got to take it out to the designated place at the designated time, but I'm not the one that's actually doing it. And with that illustration in mind, trying to help ourselves out of the insecurities, the fears, and the anxieties that are created by ourselves is like trying to get rid of our trash by rearranging where we put it in the home. Maybe you could bypass the smell for a little bit. Maybe you can live with the facade that it's gone, but it's still your trash. You need someone outside of yourself to take care of that for you, to renew you, not just once, not just twice, but every single week in the type of world that we live in. That's where it goes back to this point. That's why we need the corporate gathering. We need to be reminded in the midst of people who are going through the same exact issues and difficulties of life that we are. I really hope we don't walk into these doors thinking everyone's life is good but mine. Please. Give me one hour with anyone here and I'll tell you probably three things you're struggling with, three things you wish you could change in your life, three insecurities that you brought in just from seven days of living in this world. And as we gather together in that type of context and community, we need to be reminded as we're going through those things that you're still fully loved, you're still fully accepted by Christ. You need to be reminded that even in the midst of your troubles, there is a good and sovereign God still in control over the chaos. So we need the regular gathering in the same way a boat needs an anchor in the midst of a storm. Life's rocky. The world will throw things at you. And what anchors you is not just your own willpower, but it is the corporate, truthful, communal gathering of the church. And that's why I close with this verse, verse 23. It says, therefore, let us, not let me, but let us, fellow 
Christians hold fast to confession without wavering together, for he who promised is faithful. So as we move forward in this season of regathering, four simple reminders. Come ultimately to worship God. Come with a posture of gratitude and reverence for what he is, what he has done and who he is. Come considering how to stir others to love and good deeds. And lastly, come because our souls need to be refreshed and reminded of the gospel week in and week out. Let's pray together.